Good morning, church. I feel like we've had church already. This is uh, really special for me. I was telling Zalika, it's even a little bit emotional. I didn't know that the Manhattan ministry was going to be here today. And uh, Manhattan is where I got baptized. So in the daytime ministry to see some of the people out there still doing it, still serving, is super encouraging. And then coming back home to Harlem, you know, God just finds a way to uh, have us enjoy fellowship with you guys every once in a while. So I am truly grateful to be here with you guys this morning. So it's a new year. 2019, we made it. It's time for a reset. We can bring all the good stuff from 2018 with us. And anything we want to leave behind, we can leave that behind. But we get to press reset. Now, during this time, many people are making New Year's resolutions. The gyms are over flooded with people making promises to themselves that they ain't going to keep. And they get you with the marketing, right? You're sitting down watching TV eating some dessert left over from the holidays. The commercial comes on. Do you feel out of shape? And you're like, are they speaking to me? Are your clothes getting tighter? And you agree with the TV? Are you not the man or woman you used to be? But for $9.99, we can resolve all your problems, right? And they feed into our guilt and into our shame and into the negative things we feel about our bodies. This is that season. But what they don't tell you is that 8% of the people you see on the gym floor uh, during January will not be there by the end of the year. That 80% of people who start a, a health program won't make it. The reason why is because even if today I gave you everything you needed to do, to be healthy, mind, body, soul, spiritually, only 20% of us would actually do it. Why? Because information does not change us. You've got Google, YouTube, you can find any information you need at any time. What changes us is conviction. And see, a conviction is a belief, something that is so strong that it uh, moves us to act. Diet culture makes us want to feel bad about ourselves and make it feel like food is evil or food is bad. But I'm here to tell you, praise Jesus, that food is not evil. That food is good, hallelujah. Look, Jesus ate his way through the Gospels. In the book of Luke, he shares meals with nine different people. The first miracle that he did was changing water into wine. Didn't say low-carb wine, didn't say low-sugar wine. It was just wine. The biggest miracle, feeding of the 5,000, where he used two fishes and five loaves to feed 5,000. Didn't say that the bread was gluten-free. Didn't say it was seven grain. It was just bread. And they ate and praised God because Jesus loves carbs. What's my point? When talking about the Bible, when talking about food restrictions, it says that everything is good if it is received with thanksgiving. Here's the thing, everything is spiritual. 
whether it's the resolutions we have in our lives, whether it's what we want to do with our bodies, everything is spiritual. So today, what I want to do is renew and refresh your soul with some solutions for your mind, body, soul, well-being. So today, we're not going to talk about resolutions. We're going to talk about resolutions, reviving your soul so we can be who we need to be, mind, body, and soul for God. Luke 10, chapter 37. The Bible reads that we are to love the Lord our God with all our heart, mind, soul, and strength. And we are to love our neighbors as ourselves. Everything in one. The mind is the logical, intelligent, reasoning, strategic part of our being, the part that gets stuff done. The soul is the intuitive, emotional, creative, moral center of who we are. It's the part that gives us courage, character, and integrity. And our body is what God created. Point number one, reconnect to the source. Turn to Genesis chapter one. In Genesis chapter one and verse 10, the Bible reads that God created the land and sea and the end of that scripture says, when God saw it, he said it was good. In Genesis chapter 1 verse 12, he created vegetation, seed-bearing plants, and the writer says at the end of that verse that it was good. In Genesis chapter 1 verse 18, he creates the sun, moon, and the stars, and at the end of that verse, the writer says that it was good. In verse 25, sorry, in verse 21, read with me here. So God created the great creatures of the sea and every living thing with which the water teems and moves about in it, according to their kinds, and every winged bird according to its kind. And God saw that it was, say it with me, church, good. In, verse one, 20, in chapter 1, verse 25, God made the wild animals according to their kinds, the livestock according to their kinds, and all the creatures that move along the ground according to their kinds. And God saw that it was good. So God, in verse 27, created mankind in his own image. In the image of God, he created them male and female, he created them. Then we read on in the scriptures, and the scriptures talk about how God gave us everything that we need for sustenance, everything we need in the Garden of Eden to survive. And in verse 31, we read the scripture, God saw all that he had made. What does it say? And it was very good. It was only after God created man that he was able to say it was very good. He created the moon, the stars, the seas, everything in it. But only, but only after he created us. It was not complete until he created man in his own image. That's when God said it was very good. We need to understand something. In our physicality, in who we are as created beings, that we, the way that God sees us, are very good. Let's begin there with the premise that our almighty creator created our bodies, our physical bodies, and it is very good. And then he sent us out into the garden to take care of the land and to sub subdue it. You, sitting here in the pews, the sack of flesh, blood, and bones sitting right next to you, we are God's design. Right here, this is his design through which 
God is going to transform the world and allow other people to see Christ and who through, through whom he's going to bring his goodness to. You are God's design, even if you had some extra cookies this Christmas. This is it, right here. Genesis chapter 2, verse 25. It's a very short line. The Bible reads, Adam and his wife were both naked, and they felt no shame. They were naked, and they were not ashamed. There was no insecurity about their physical form. Imagine a world in which there were no body issues. There was no insecurity about how we felt about our physicality. There's no embarrassment. There was no shame. That's foreign to us. But it is how God designed us to be. That's how God sees us as very good. What I'm here to tell you that is if you're discouraged by your physicality, if you're discouraged by your body, maybe some of us are dealing with health issues. What I'm here to tell you is that within your body is the unlimited potential of divine creation. Within you is the power of an unstoppable, unrestricted God. That's what lies within you. And he is not finished with you yet. So how do we go from this place where God sees us as very good to what we feel after we watch those commercials after the Christmas break? Genesis chapter 3. Now many of us know the story of Adam and Eve and how God made man and woman and he put them in the garden and the only thing he told them not to eat was fruit from the tree of the knowledge of good, of, of good and evil. They had everything. But then the the serpent comes along and tempts them and they eat from the fruit and this begins the fall of man. And we read in Genesis chapter 3 verse 7 after they've eaten the fruit. Then the eyes of both of them were opened and they realized they were naked. So they sewed fig trees together and made coverings for themselves. Then the man and his wife heard the sound of the Lord as he was walking in the garden in the cool of day and they hid from him. The Lord God among, and they hid from the Lord God as he was walking among the trees of the garden. But the Lord God called to the man, Where are you? He answered, I heard you in the garden, and I was afraid because I was naked, so I hid. And he said, Who told you you were naked? Who told you you were naked? After the fall of man, their bodies hadn't changed. God had provided everything for them. He had told them that they were very good. So why the shift from feeling great about everything to wanting to cover themselves up and feeling shame? See, the serpent had planted the idea that they were not good enough. He had planted the idea that they needed something more, that they didn't have, that whatever God had given them, they literally had the whole world. But he had said, you know what? He's holding something back. You're not good enough as you are. You need a little bit more knowledge. You need that thing that you know might not be so good for you. And so he planted this idea that you could be better if you just take from the fruit. And God is saying, who told you that? Who told you you weren't perfect? Who told you that you should be embarrassed? Who told you that you should feel ashamed? Who told you that you were not enough? Because God is saying, that's not my message. 
That's not how I feel about you. To me, you are perfect. To me, you are everything. Who is the source of your shame and discouragement? Who told you? See, I have daughters. And every now and again, they'll come home from school and someone will have said something that has made them feel discouraged. And it hurts me. It angers me. Who told you? Because you need to feel about yourself the way that I feel about you, the way that I know that God feels about you. See, something happened in the garden where they became shameful about themselves. Let me ask you, when was the first time that you felt shame or embarrassed about your physicality? The first time you didn't like who you were. See, because that was the first time we stopped listening to what God thinks about us. That was the first time we stepped out of Eden. And for some of us, it's a mild annoyance, but for some people, those scars run very deep. Right? And see, look, this line of thinking that the body is in and of itself is bad is in religion and it's out there in the world as well. There are philosophies, uh, one philosophy called dualism, which tries to separate the mind from the body. The thinking is that the body is corruptible. And so we need to separate the mind and the spirit from the body, right? Here's the thing. Your mind is physical. How many of us have ever been hangry? (laughs) Anger caused by a state of hunger, right? How many of us have ever been hangry? You can't focus when you're hungry. I know one of the first things... I learned about my wife is that to keep her happy, I needed to keep her fed. (laughs) And I'm the same way, I get cranky. When you haven't had sleep, can you focus? You can't focus. It's why we get make sure our kids, well, we try to make sure our kids get to bed on time so that their mind can focus. Your body, your mind, sorry, is a part of your physicality. So if we are to love God with all our heart, mind, soul, and strength, we're going to have to look at some things. There's a whole theory called embodied cognition. And what that means is the whole thing is one integrated being and it works together. You think about this, I think in Harlem you're talking about prayer this month. The last prayer that Jesus prayed was that everybody would be completely unified. And you see this theme of oneness throughout the scriptures. The church is supposed to be one, every member, right? Different parts make up one body. The Father, Son, and the Spirit, three different entities, make up one body. We are ministers of reconciliation, bringing all things from everywhere into one, right? Your physical body, the mind, the soul, the spirit, it's one because God wants unity. Who told you? Who told you that it wasn't integrated? that you need to be ashamed. Look, we see 4,000 advertising messages every single day. That's going to have an effect. They're telling us to get rid of something that we're not good enough to fix, enhance, improve. Anti-this, anti-wrinkle, anti-age, (laughs) anti-you. When God says you are good enough, Psalm 139 says you are fearfully and wonderfully made. God makes no mistakes. You are divinely created from divine love to be divinely loved and to give divine love. That is how God has created you. Even with our flaws, we are flawsome. 
What does that mean? We are awesome in spite of or because of our flaws. God makes no mistakes. You are enough. You are more enough than you can ever imagine. And we need to encourage each other with this. Let's get a little Baptist. Turn to your neighbor. Say, neighbor, you are a beautiful creation of divine love. I need you to love yourself. I need you to be the best you. Because God says, you are very good. Amen. Feel a little better? Amen. Point number two, we need to release our soul. Proverbs chapter 13, verse 25. And if you haven't guessed right now, we're looking at how our physicality affects our spirituality and we're going to look very clearly about how these two things connect. Proverbs 13, verse 25. I'm going to read from the King James Version because I am English. The righteous eateth to the satisfying of his soul, but the belly of the wicked shall want. The NIV says the righteous eateth to his heart's content. The heart and the soul are used interchangeably here. Did you know that there is a stomach and soul connection? That your stomach is connected to your soul? Think about words like comfort food. It's starting to feel good already. (laughs) Amen. Soul food. The fact that we put those two words together should tell us something. After the holidays, you had mama's cooking and you felt good. There is a connection here. If there was any one story that helped me see this connection that that I've been through. Uh, James has mentioned that I've been part of the ministry, but what I do now is I uh, I have a fitness business. And so part of what I do is I, I train people physically. And so I had this one session with this couple. They were a loving married couple, uh, very successful in the medical field. And so it was, they had lost weight. They had been losing weight and gaining weight for many years. And now they lost weight and they were feeling great about everything. And so I was training the husband and the wife together. The wife was running late and I'm talking to the husband. He's running on the treadmill. And so as we're talking, waiting for his wife... He looks around the room to make sure that nobody's there and then he takes his voice down to a whisper. He says, Robert, come here, I want to tell you something. So I'm like, what's up? He goes, I'm going to tell you something, but you can't tell my wife. Now right there, I knew this is not good, right? (laughs) And I didn't want to know, but part of me did want to know. So I said, you know, what's up? Tell me. He said, listen, when... Uh, I look in Jenna's car, I'm finding all of these soda cans and it seems like she's hiding them. And the one time that I brought it up to her, she blew up at me. So I need you to fix it. <laughs> and so, and so I, as he said that and I was about to respond, Jenna walks in. And so I'm stuck. He looks at me like, fix it, right? And then we go on to our workout. And so I'm trying to figure out what to say. He's glaring at me during the whole thing. Then we finally get to the end. And so my strategy was, I'm going to give him a softball question so that he can answer that, be vulnerable, and then his wife will feel free to be be vulnerable. So I said, you know, you guys are doing awesome. You know, Mike, uh, what is the one thing you think you could improve right now? How do you think you could take it higher? And so I wait for his response. His response was nothing. 
I'm doing exactly what you said. That's why I'm losing the weight. I haven't veered from it to the left or to the right. I'm like, thanks. That's awesome. Turn to the wife, Jenna. How you been doing? Just like Mike. Awesome. I've been sticking to it to the letter. I'm losing all this weight. Robert, you are a genius. And so now I'm stuck. So I look towards Mike and um, we both look at Jenna. I'm like, Jenna, there's nothing else you can improve. And so she looks at both of us and she figured it out. She's like, what has he been telling you? So I know better than to get involved in grown folks' business. So I stood, stood back. I said, Mike, why don't you tell Jenna? And he said, look, I kind of told Robert about the soda thing. So she looked at us as the betrayal set in. She put her hands on her hips and literally walked in a circle as she collected her thoughts. Then she looked directly at Mike. She took her finger, pointed it in his chest and said, you are a traitor and a rat. I was like, whoa, that was awkward. I wasn't expecting it to go there. And then it went from anger to frustration to sadness, and then there were tears. She was like, look, you know how hard I've been working. You know I've got this crazy two-hour commute. You know what I've got to deal with with the children. And it's not like you've been perfect. And then she said this. She goes, and now you want to take away the one thing in my life that gives me joy and happiness. I was like, wow. Her husband was like, wow. And so this was such an irrational statement. Here is a woman who, they're both successful, they have great lives, they literally save people's lives, they're in the medical field, they're active in their church, they're helping orphanages around the world. But in this moment, when she was asked a question to give up soda, her reality, her truth was, it was the one thing in her life that gave her joy and happiness. Now we know that when people make statements like that, which are so far from the truth, there's something deeper going on. And so we started to talk. And what we figured out was that she was extremely stressed. See, she would have these cans of soda um, before in, she would park in the uh, parking lot before she got to work. She worked in a hospital, and she was the head of a department that dealt with a very rare form of cancer. So most of her uh, patients, she would see them um, not make it. And the families would go through a cycle of hope, despair, desperation, and then loss. And she would be there through the whole thing. And she wanted to help the families and, and give to them. Sometimes she needed to step away, she said, and she needed to, to cry, get herself together, and come back and be professional. So before she got to work, in order to deal with it, in order to get her joy level up, she would sit in the car and drink soda. And then she had a two-hour commute back home. And when she got home, she would park uh, a little bit away from the house, take a few moments, drink her soda, and then go into the house to be a mother, and to be a wife, and to be present for her household. And so, this soda was addicting for her. The sugar and soda, crea uh, when you, whenever we eat sugary things, it releases dopamine, a chemical in our bodies that increases happiness and joy, right? It's very similar to what happens when we take drugs like heroin and cocaine. It causes an addictive response. And so she was correct in saying 
that this was one of the things in her life that was giving her joy and was giving her happiness. It was almost spiritual. And I use the word spiritual very purposefully. Go to Galatians chapter 5, verse 22. Galatians 5, 22, it talks about, the Bible is talking about the fruits of the Spirit. It says, but the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patientness, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. All of these represent the spiritual life. In Judaism and in the Old Testament, when it talks about peace, um, the word is shalom. And that what that word is, is a blessing on your entire being. That's what it means, where your mind, your body, your spirit, your soul, your whole life is balanced and in alignment. It means a structured, ordered life. See, what was happening to Jenna was that her soul needed spiritual serenity, but her stomach was giving her soda. What she was looking for were these fruits of the Spirit. What she was looking for was some peace. What she, what she was looking for was some patience. She knew she needed self-control. She was looking for some shalom, for some balance in her life. And so how this works is the same things we go to for our faith, the same things many people go to get from their religious and their spiritual life. She was looking for from food. And for many of us, unconsciously, we are trying to find the fruit of the Spirit through an edible means. That is the stomach-soul connection. For many of us, that is what we're looking for. And look, it starts early. And our hunger goes much deeper than it can appear on the surface. We've talked about this before. It starts from early when a child is is hurt, what do we do? We give them a cookie. When they're upset, we give them some candy to take away the pain. Even the pet names we give each other. Honey, cookie, sugar, buttercups, sweetie pie, baby cake. We could go on. Nobody ever call their loved ones broccoli or carrot. It does not have the same emotional connection. And then as we grow older, we look to food as sources of spirituality. We're, hot, we're, we're lonely, we eat, we eat. We're bored, we eat. We celebrate, we eat. We break up. Right? And food becomes this salve for our spirits. We're seeking to meet a spiritual need with an edible solution. The reasons that diets don't work is because we are trying to solve a spiritual problem through purely scientific means. Everything is spiritual. Point number two, recognize and replace. In Luke chapter 11 from verse 24 to verse 26, going to reference it. The Bible talks about when an evil spirit comes out of a man and is released. It goes through arid places and the house is swept up. And then if you do not replace it or fill the house with something else, those evil spirits come right back with seven more deadly spirits 
and the end situation is worse than it was at the beginning. We've got to recognize that if we are to take stuff out, we have to replace it with something. How many times, how many of us have lost weight and gained it back again, over and over again? Oh yeah, right? We begin the week and we cut everything out. We're carb-free, sugar-free, all we're eating is air and water. And then we get to the end of the week and we're eating rice, bread, pasta with a side of macaroni and cheese, right? Why? We've got to recognize what the spiritual need is. I know for me, the way it manifests in my life is I hate detailed work and I'm usually at home doing my admin. I hate it. And I would rather be outside playing with the other kids. So, what happens? I need a distraction. And a sugary snack sounds good when the work gets too hard. So I find myself at the fridge, looking in the fridge for something. There might not be anything there. I'm just waiting for something to happen. <laughs> right? Now, we won't go into it today, but there are, there are about nine spiritual reasons why we end up overeating. You've got to figure out what your spiritual need is and why it's driving you. My need is escape and freedom. Here's the thing. If you lose something you're attached to, you will find it again. You lose a set of keys, it's useful to you. You will find it again. When we lose something like weight, and there are many more things I'm focusing on weight just because of the talk we're having today and because of the season, right? But if you lose something, you'll find it again. If we lose the carbs, the fats, the sugars, the weight, and we don't find another way to meet our spiritual need, we will go back to what we've always done. Whatever it is, whether it's food, whether it's something unhealthy spiritually, and we're getting it out of our lives, yes, it's great to get it out, but you've got to figure out how to replace. Recognize what the need is and find a way to replace it. We've got to reinvigorate our bodies. 1 Timothy chapter 4, verse 8. Physical training is of some value, but godliness has value for everything. It's a true scripture. And what the scripture is saying is that, yes, physical training is good, but godliness is so much higher, and that is true. But some of us use that as an excuse. I'm just trying to be spiritual. I don't need to focus on my physicality. Here's the thing. The Bible also says money is the root of all kinds of evil that you can't serve God, uh, both God and money. Does that mean at the end of the week you don't pick up your paycheck? No. You pick it up. You find $10 on the floor, you pick it up, and you praise God. Right? You don't throw one out because of the other. Here's the thing. And back then, you've got to understand, when this scripture was written, it was a different time. I'm going to read to you an actual text that I got from one of my clients. This is a real text. She knew I was, you know, um, involved in church. I used to be in the ministry. So she sends me this text. Y'all need to stop with this bread is not good for you foolishness. Jesus did not say, I am the broccoli of life. <laughs> Nor did he say, give us, to, give us this day our daily kale. Stop. Jesus is life. Jesus is the bread of life. Bread is life. 
pretty strong argument she had there. But unfortunately for her, I do read my Bible and I do a little bit of research. So here was my response. Yeah, but Jesus walked 20 to 30 miles a day. He was a carpenter and did physical labor. Go ahead, eat bread all day sitting at your desk. I bet you get to see Jesus much faster. Might have been having a bad day that day. But she got the point. It was a different time. Look, back then they had exercise, they moved, they were physical. For them to eat a meal meant they had to plant it, go into the field, plant it, harvest it, carry it back to the house, cook it, and then eat it. What do we do? Swipe. Points, and then the food arrives at your door. It was a different time. There were hunters and gatherers. They had to physically go and chase down their food. How would you do if you had to chase down your food today, people? Some of us would be starving. And then the food could actually turn around and chase them. How would you do if you had to run away from your food? Some of us would become the meal. They were close to their food. They planted it. They knew where it came from. We sit down and we eat a meal. You don't know whose hands has touched it, where it's been, how long it's been there, how far it's traveled, what's in it. But we eat it, right? It was a different time. Now we sit for 13 hours a day, the average American. Now, what does that mean? After just four hours of sitting, your um, chance of getting cardiovascular disease increases 125%. You are twice as likely to get cancer. Your metabolism slows down. You sit six hours a day, and it's as bad, scientists have proven, as smoking a pack of cigarettes a day. You are twice as likely to get lung cancer. We were made to move. Made to move. You have 600 muscles, over 600 muscles, 206 bones in your body. God designed you to move. So yes, physical um, training is of some value. What value is it? Now, how many of us have ever experienced a runner's high? When you're running and you just get the endorphins and it's going and you feel awesome. Now, Stay with me here. Whenever you work out or push your body to a limit, and there's a point to this, your body produces a chemical called endocannabinoids. Now, what are endocannabinoids? They are your the, it's, the uh, chemical is closely related to the same active ingredient in cannabis and marijuana. Now, I know we're in church. There is a point. Don't stone me just yet. The active ingredient is called anandamide, which means bliss. So, in chemical recovery programs or substance abuse programs, they recommend exercise. Why? Because you need to recognize what it is and you need to replace. God has designed our bodies so that we can begin to get some of these fruits of the Spirit. What else does exercise do? 
It sharpens your brain. The more oxygen to your brain, the more clearly you can think. It's shown to stave off the effects of Alzheimer's. There's uh, the mind. It increases your, uh, and improves your mood, enhances your mood. The serotonin that is, is released during, uh, during exercise makes you happier, increases your joy. It's been proven to make you a kinder, better employee. The endorphins alleviate the symptoms of pain and depression when you start to move. Clinical studies have shown and research has proven that depressed uh, adults who, who exercise improve just as much as people who are on prescription medication. It increases your endurance and your, your mental and physical endurance and your impulse control. So if you're, you shop on impulse, if you're given to fits of rage or anger or lust or any of those things, it controls, your, it helps with impulse control. Now let's put this all together. Physical exercise, it elevates your mood. There's joy. Fight symptoms of depression and stress. There's peace. Physical endurance, there's patience. A better employee, kindness and goodness. Impulse control, that's self-control. Aren't these the fruits of the Spirit? Aren't these the things that we go to when we're trying to seek spirituality and religion? Now, here's the thing. I'm not saying that exercise is going to replace your faith. That's, that's not what I'm saying. But what I am saying is that God has designed our bodies so that we can experience some of the fruits of the Spirit through our physicality, which leads to the next point. If we're to love God with all our heart, mind, soul, and strength, can we really do it if we're not taking care of the temple of our soul? This is how our physicality is connected to who we are spiritually. It is God's amazing design. But sometimes we go back and we try and separate the mind from the body. That's not how God intended it. 1 Corinthians chapter 6, verse 19. Do you not know that your bodies are temples of the Holy Spirit who is in you, whom you have received from God? You are not your own. Your body is not your own. We have work to do. We need to be socially responsible with our bodies. What does that mean? On a personal level, and we're family, and my goal here is not to make anybody feel bad, because as the Bible says, we were created very good. But for some of us, our families are worried about us. They're concerned about us. And it's out of love. And we should never do anything because we're motivated from outside. But we've got to see here, spiritually, our bodies are not our own. You know, for me, uh, I, have a, I have a bad back related to my career as a dancer, but my body is not my own. I've got to be there for my kids, for my wife, right? Many times when I'm not taking care of it, I'm flat on my back. I can't do anything. My body is not my own. It belongs to them. I need to take care of it, right? Your body is not your own. How many of us know somebody who's had a heart attack or suffers from diabetes? I say that because these two are largely preventable by diet and exercise. We have so much to give. Um, there are studies that show that 
um, not engaging in diet and exercise can reduce your life by 20 years. How much more could you do with 20 years? How many more people could you encourage? Could you build up? How many more people could you share the aroma of Christ with if you had 20 more years? Our bodies are our vehicles for life. We do everything through this. This is what God is going to use to reach everybody. Make your body the best it can be. I'm not saying you've got to lift 500 pounds. But I remember I went away and I was um, doing one of these health conferences and I was out of town and I was late to get to... I was, uh, I was staying in one hotel. The conference was in another hotel. And I was late getting to, to the hotel. And usually they have a shuttle bus. But a shuttle bus wasn't there. And so I'm looking a little bit frustrated and, and uh, the guy, uh, one of the valets, was like... Um, I'm sorry, sir, we, we don't have the shuttle bus. Um, the best thing that we have is we have this Bentley with a chauffeur. And um, will that do? <laughs> the best thing you have is a Bentley with a chauffeur. I think that'll do. So I jumped into Bentley, and he was like, let me, uh, let, I'll get you there quickly. I was like, slow down, <laughs> we're not in such a rush. Lean back in those le- I don't know about you whether you're accustomed to being driven in a, in a chauffeur-driven Bentley, but I thought, let me relish this moment. And then I got to the other side. No one knew who I was. You know, they opened the, the car door and I stepped out, started talking even more British than I do right now. But it felt good. Your bodies are your vehicle for life. Let's make it the best we can so we can give the best to the glory of God. There is an Old Testament word for weight. And the word is kavod. And when you hear this Old Testament word in its basic meaning, yes, it means weight or it means heaviness. But the other interpretation of this word is it is an expression of the overwhelming power of being in the presence of an almighty God. It is the gravitas of the creator around whom all things are created. And so when you hear this word kavod, it expresses the power of the divine. When the um, Old Testament Jews tried to build the temple, they were trying to build it to express the kavod, the awesomeness of the God, the spirit that was inside the temple, even though they knew They never could. When I go back to Jenna and I think about her life, she had a personal kavod. There were people whose lives were saved because of her. In her church community, there were people who were affected by her. As she helped the poor and she helped those orphans, those people's lives were forever changed because of her kavod. Every single person sitting here today has a kavod, a spiritual weight, the weight of your worth, around which, with which God wants you to use to impact the world. Think about your spiritual kavod, because that is why you honor your body. That is why you take care of the spirit that is within your temple, because I'm guessing that on this earth you have more to accomplish. You have more dreams that you want to fulfill. I'm guessing that there is more that the world needs to see of you and there is more that God can do with you. I'm guessing that there are people right now who are grateful for you, 
who have been on the receiving end of your kindness, who smile when they think about you, because with inside you there is goodness. I'm guessing also that you have some talent, some gift, something that you do better than anybody else and through which God uses you to encourage people around you because there is greatness within you. I'm guessing also that if you are here, it's because somewhere in you there is a giving spirit. Something in you wants to make others' lives better. And as Christians, we want to spread the aroma of Christ so that people can get that message. These are the reasons why we need to take care of the physicality, the temple that houses our soul. Your light has already been shining. It needs to shine much brighter. We need to take care of our physicality so we can love more, be more confident, be more present, and as disciples... Give what we need to give to the glory of God. That, let that be the reason, the driving force behind why you take care of your body and let's have some New Year's resolutions to the glory of God. Amen.